Well, good evening. It's good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can join me and we'll read first in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, and then we'll turn to Daniel chapter 6. It's great to look back at what's all happened this year. It's hard to believe it's already August, and so much has been accomplished just in terms of ministry and all the different summer things we do with the children and teenagers and church, but also with the building and all of that. And then to be part of uh, seeing Megan continue to grow up for the last few years and then get married. Uh, I still remember when we got married, people asked me afterwards how it was. I said, I recommend it. I still recommend it. And uh, I do know about a a groom and a bride, a a groom-to-be, bride-to-be, as they were getting closer to their wedding date. Uh, They started to get a little bit apprehensive. The groom-to-be finally went to his father, and he said, I really am concerned. He said, my feet smell really, really bad, and I'm concerned that it's going to be a turnoff to my wife after we get married. Father said, don't worry about it. Just wash your feet as often as you can and change your socks every day and you'll be okay. So he felt a little bit better. And the bride also was apprehensive. She went to her mom and she said, I really in the morning have terrible breath. And I'm afraid it's going to turn my husband off. And the mother said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Just early in the morning, everyone has bad breath. The bride said, no, mine is just absolutely terrible. She said, well, don't talk at all. Just make sure you get up first, head right to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and you'll be fine. And so they got married, and everything went beautiful. The ceremony was great. They actually were getting along very well for about six months until early one morning, the husband woke up, and he realized that one of his socks was missing. And he began scrambling around to try to find it, and it woke up his uh, wife, and she uh, turned around, and she said, what on earth are you doing? He looked at her horrified and said, you swallowed my sock. (laughs) So marriage can be uh, intimidating sometimes, but it's it's worth it. And... uh, Excited to be a part of one this week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and verse 33. This is, of course, a famous chapter of the the New Testament. It talks about all the great heroes of the faith, both men and women who trusted in the Lord in particularly maybe difficult times, and God uh, provided for them in some incredible ways. And so in verse 32 and 33, the author is summarizing here. He says, what shall I more say For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. When we think about these different men who God used throughout history, and we think about those who maybe Stop mouths of lions. We see just in this list, uh, Samson, if you recall, was, uh, was traveling and a lion attacked him and God had given him as a judge great abilities physically and he took the lion and he tore it apart and he killed the lion and it actually became a part of Samson's story, he turned it into a riddle and uh, he stopped the mouths of, of lions. David, of course, God came and, and provided for him when he was a, a shepherd boy protecting sheep and Uh, He'll tell Saul later on, he'll say that God was with me when a lion attacked, a bear attacked, and I was able to uh, save the sheep and kill the lion and kill the bear. 
If there's one other famous story in the Old Testament about lions and stopping the mouths of lions, it would, it would have to be Daniel. Daniel's not mentioned explicitly in this chapter in Hebrews, but it's a well-known story in Daniel chapter 6 about how God worked in his life as an older man, as an official in this incredible, massive, dynamic kingdom. Uh, Daniel had been used of God to be placed here at this time and in this place, and he faces the den of lions. What happens here, and let's just go ahead and read in chapter 6 and verse 1 through 3, and we'll just set the stage quickly. It says it pleased Darius, who is now the new king of this Median Persian empire, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So as King Darius is setting up an uh, administration to take care of an incredibly vast kingdom that had to uh, handle all sorts of issues and problems and military uh, effects, and all of this had to take place over vast distances, he says, I'm going to create a system in which I have very high-level officials, lower-level officials. And he says, I want three presidents to sort of oversee everything else. And he says, one of these is going to be Daniel because I have such respect for Daniel. Daniel had been a part of the administration of, of this ongoing, changing kingdom for, for many, many decades and had earned a reputation. And so he has Daniel as a part of this administration and uh, he actually is thinking about placing him above everyone else in the kingdom because of something that stood out about him. Perhaps because Daniel was a Jew, perhaps for some other political reasons, we don't really know exactly why. The other two presidents and some of the other princes were conspiring. They were very envious of Daniel's influence and they didn't want him to have any position over them. They were they were very quickly ready to undermine his influence and authority. And so uh, they thought about a way to politically get together to, uh, to take him out. But because Daniel was so blameless, there was something so just, you know politicians. We have some experience with them in our own country. And usually there's dirt you can kind of pull up on somebody. And uh, there's a lot of good reasons to try to attack your opponent. But they just couldn't find anything to accuse him of that would have been legitimate to take to King Darius. And so they had to come up with a plan. They knew that Daniel worshipped only one God. He wasn't pagan. He wasn't a part. Even though he had lived there for many, many decades, he still worshipped the God of Abraham, Israel, and Isaac. He was still uh, faithful. He still worshipped him. And so they knew that that was different about Daniel. And so they said, okay, if we can get the king to make a law and uh, create some legislation that would, uh, would, would isolate Daniel and we know that he'll worship, then we can, we can get him into trouble, legal trouble. And sure enough, they do that. There was some sort of system at that time in that country where even the king, King Darius, when a law was decreed, there was something about the rule of law that even the king wouldn't be able to change his mind. And so they, 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 they flattered the king, and they, they said, oh, we hope you live forever. None of the kings ever did, interestingly enough, but we hope you live forever, and, and we, we love you so much, and we are, we're just out of the goodness of our heart. We want to unify the kingdom, and so let's make a law that people can only pray to you for 30 days. And so they get this law passed, and of course, Daniel 
will continue to pray to the God of Israel. He'll look toward Jerusalem. He's not lost his identity as a Jew. He understands the covenant promises of God. And so he's thrown into a den of lions. But in the morning when the king arrives, that's the penalty for breaking the law, when the king arrives to see how Daniel is doing, Daniel is taken out of the den unharmed. And the God of Israel was glorified in the palace and throughout the entire realm. I don't think I gave anything away. Probably the most of us were familiar with the story of what took place in his life. But there are some lessons, I think, from Daniel that can be very, very profound for us. Uh, there's a song I used to sing as a, as a kid, Dare to be a Daniel. We were encouraged to be, to be a Daniel. Now, Daniel probably was a eunuch who lived in ancient Babylon, who spoke a different language and lived in a different culture. And so there are some ways I can't be like Daniel. But a wise person will learn the lessons that are given here for us to take from them. There's details in this story that are written in such a way to capture our attention and to teach us some lessons. And if we are to be wise, we must learn from them. Daniel is one of the most intriguing figures in history, in Jewish history, because his place of influence was so profound as the Assyrian Empire was transitioning into the Median Persian Empire, which transitioned into the Persian Empire. You have, the, you have all of these changes going on. And, and although the kings change, and, and, and sometimes the culture even changed, Daniel was still an important part, an important player. God, God knew what he was doing in the midst of what we might perceive as, as chaos. Here's some things about Daniel that we can learn. And we'll just use four words uh, to structure this. We already have the den, Daniel, and Darius, so we'll just use four more D words. We'll do distinguished, dis disciplined, dumped, and delivered. Daniel was distinguished, disciplined, dumped, and delivered. We already noticed how he stood out. Something about Daniel caused him to stand out in the first three verses that we uh, read. Even in chapter number one, when Daniel was taken captive along with other young men who were princes or part of the royal uh, group there from Jerusalem, they're taken captive and Daniel stood out. He was handsome, he was healthy, and they felt like he was capable of learning the language of the Babylonians and then becoming a part of their system that they were building there at the time. And although their names were changed, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were a part of that, although so much of their lives was taken out from under them and they went through so much chaos... Uh, Daniel maintained his identity and he purposed that he would not defile himself with the lifestyle that violated who he was supposed to be as a Jew. There were certain ways they were supposed to live that were separate from the other nations and of course they worshiped God that was unique and so he maintained that there's nothing going to happen that's going to cause me not to be faithful to God. One of the ways that happened was through the dietary law. There were certain things that uh, they were supposed to not eat or they were supposed to eat. There were uh, these different things that, that separated them from, from the other nations. Now, it's, it's interesting, even as Daniel will open up, his, uh, open up his windows and look toward Jerusalem and pray toward Jerusalem, his identity, even in Babylon, was still there, knowing that God was going to fulfill the promises that he had made. But for Daniel, although that separation, that that identity was in Jerusalem, we also are to be separate. We're also so supposed to be distinct. Not in that we wear clothing that is out of one particular type of fabric or something like that, but the Bible says we as Christians are to remain distinct despite the world we live in. Now Jesus spoke, didn't he, to a Samaritan woman 
And she was concerned about where do we worship? Do we worship at Mount Gilead? Or Jews say you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says you, you should worship me in spirit and in truth. And of course when Jesus is on the cross, Hebrews tells us the, the, the veil in the temple that separated people from the, the Holy of Holies, that was rent in two. And so people from every nation, from every place can come and know God personally through faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross through the atonement. And so some of those separations aren't the same way that they were for Daniel, but we are as Christians to mean distinct and separate in that we belong to the Lord and we're characterized by how we follow Christ. For example, the fruit of the Spirit is described for us that as Christians we should be reflecting what it means to be like Christ in the world. And he talks about, uh, doesn't he, Galatians, about love and joy and peace. I don't know exactly what it was for Daniel that allowed him to be as Christ-like, it would seem, as he was in Babylon. But he was characterized by a certain love for the Lord and a certain honesty about the way he lived his life. He wasn't like the other people who were conniving and doing all the, the political shenanigans. And we'll learn in just a little bit that the king is so upset with the other politicians who are doing their political things that they'll be thrown into the den of lions and that will, they'll be a little bit messier than Daniel's story. Someone said it this way. He said about a Christian when it comes to joy. He said that for a Christian, joy is the central feature of life. When we know the Lord is our Savior, when we know we have a home in heaven, when we have that relationship with him. He said, joy is the central feature of life and sorrow is peripheral. Because in the gospel, the fundamental questions of life are answered and it is the peripheral ones that are relatively unanswered. For the atheist, sorrow is central and joy is peripheral because only the peripheral questions have answers and the central ones remain unanswered. So for a Christian, we don't have all the answers for why things work out the way they do. And I don't think Daniel did either. The, the changes that came into his life, I don't know that he predicted or understood or knew what would happen in his life. And there were certainly sorrows that came with it. Starting from Daniel chapter 1, being taken from your family and knowing Jerusalem is being destroyed behind you. But for, for a Christian, joy is central because you know what the future holds. And the sorrows that may come along are peripheral. For many others who have no hope, they can find joys in the sort of peripheral things, but they don't have the answers they need for the deep things. That leads us to having peace in the midst of what might be chaos. Someone said that the, there are four fundamental questions of life. He said, they are these. Where did I come from? What gives life meaning? How do I know the difference between right and wrong? And where am I headed when I die? Where did I come from? How do I tell what's right and wrong? Where am I headed when I die? And these answers can be, these questions can be answered in Christ and lead us to, to a joy and a peace and even love for others in the midst of the environment we may find ourselves in. Well, he was distinguished. He was different. Uh, that's proven just in the nature of his life. He had a great deal of wisdom navigating life in Babylon over many, many years. So he didn't just uh, do okay when he moved there, but over decade after decade, different administrations, different circumstances 
Daniel was able to thrive. He was able to uh, maintain his identity, serve the Lord, worship him through all of the different changes that came. There were several kings. There were incredible transitions between Nebuchadnezzar and all that he went through and Darius and uh, Belshazzar and all of these different things that were taking place. And, and, and God gave him wisdom. He was capable. He was distinguished because he had an impressive ability. I don't know how many of you would sign up for that job, all right? We're going to have three guys who are in charge of taking care of millions of people and making sure taxes are in and making sure no one steals or robs the, um, I don't know what kind of banks they had back then, the Babylonian Express World Bank. But he said, I, you got to manage all of this, this stuff. And, and Daniel uh, was chosen as one of those individuals. He had remarkable wisdom. And he knew when to speak and when not to speak. So not only did he have wisdom, but he had courage mixed with the wisdom to be able to do everything he did. Uh, secondly, he could be trusted. He could be trusted. Uh, there's a, a, a business guy, Patrick Lencioni, who's written business books, and he talks about how business partners can work together. And he said, one of the most important things when it comes to working with someone uh, as a team in business is trust that you can trust someone else. But he said, you know, it's not trust maybe the way we might think about it. He says it's not trust um, like, you know, someone says they're going to show up at 8 o'clock and they show up at 8 o'clock or they're going to take care of something and they're going to take care of it. That's good and that's important. But he said the trust I'm talking about when it comes to other people, and this might be true for a marriage or for a family or for a business environment, is trusting someone's motives that they have your good will at heart. And even if they do make a mistake or we make a mistake or you get into a tough battle together, if you can trust someone else's motives, you can go very far. And that's what could be trusted about Daniel. I think he was capable, but he was also trustworthy. The king knew, it says in verse number two, that Daniel was the first and he wanted to give these princes these positions so that the king should have no damage. The king wanted people he could trust. He could trust that they weren't there to undermine or, or to lead an insurrection or whatever the case could be. Of course, we read in 1 Corinthians what it means to have charity or have love and how we think about one another. In Micah chapter 6, we've been studying on Wednesday nights that we, we do justly. We love mercy. We walk humbly with God. It seems like these were characteristics of Daniel in a difficult environment that that distinguished him from all the other politicians of, of, of all the other eligible leaders, Daniel stood out from all of them because of these qualities in his heart and in his life. He wasn't covetous. He wasn't trying to grasp for things that, that weren't his. He wasn't, in particular, trying to undermine. He was being faithful, and he was trusting in the Lord. Someone said this about our relationship with the Lord. Actually, it might have been me who said this. I don't know. I wrote it down. Someone said this. <laughs> the more we are satisfied in him, the less power sin has over us. And there was some sort of contentment that Daniel had in the midst of all of this. That he was able to trust in the Lord. And he wasn't desperate for all the things his, his co-workers in this political realm were. So he was distinguished. Secondly, he was disciplined. In verse number four, 
The presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. If Daniel has any faults, it's because he's very consistent to be faithful to his God. If there's anything we can know about Daniel, he, he doesn't seem to be part of any, uh, any, anything, you know, we've, we've gone through his emails and we've done his background check and we've talked to his past employers and everything comes back clean. But one thing that stands out about Daniel is it seems like he has a greater loyalty than he does to the king. He's faithful to the king, King Darius, King Nebuchadnezzar, but it seems like actually he might have even a greater loyalty than to the king, if you can imagine that. And he says, we're going to find out this problem against the Lord. So they, the next few verses, they, they create this decree. They get the king to sign it. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, the, the rule that no one could pray to any God but to the king for 30 days, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and th gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, I think that those last four words, as he did aforetime, are, are to catch our attention, to help us to understand that this was a pattern of Daniel's life. Verse 11, and then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. There was something in Daniel's life, something about his faith that kept him surprisingly consistent in his character throughout all of these years, throughout his whole life. There was something about his faith that kept him consistent through the peaks and valleys of life in Babylon. I'd like to suggest a couple things here. First of all, he had faith in God's sovereignty. He had faith that despite whoever the king might be at the time, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or uh, Darius, that or Cyrus, that, that ultimately over, the king over all was, was God. Despite what an election cycle might bring, despite what the doctor might have to say, despite what might be going on in terms of the planet, God is ultimately sovereign over all things, and God's provision and God's character can be trusted. My mom used to like the painter Thomas Kincaid. And so we would have different cards or different calendars or different pictures that Thomas Kincaid had. I don't think we had any original prints. We had seven of us, six of us were boys. So my mom tried not to keep anything too valuable in the house. <laughs> but she would say, and I don't know if this is true because I never could figure it out, but she would say the rumor was that Thomas Kincaid would put his initials in every painting. Now that's, fine art is above my head. My level is where's Waldo? You can always find Waldo. But she would say, if you look at the picture, it's beautiful, beautiful scenes that he would paint. You can find his initials in this painting somewhere. And I don't know if that's true, but it is true for the Lord. As you look at what's going on in the world, you can always see God's initials in, in what's going, at, going on in the world. That's how he can make all things work together for good. And so we can trust in the Lord's sovereignty. And I think that's what was true of, of Daniel. He trusted that there was a God who was in control and he could trust in him. Not unlike Job. Job could say in the middle of a lot of darkness, he knoweth the way that I take and he knows which way I'm going. And that's why Peter could say, we casting all our care upon him because he cares 
for us. Secondly, I think he had faith in God's plan. So Jeremiah is a prophet, and Jeremiah said, hey, you're going to be taken captive. And you're going to be taken captive in Babylon for a while. And, and so he, he no doubt had heard this from Jeremiah, and, and he understood that there's something bigger going on than just Daniel's life. There's something going on in the nation that God is doing. Of course, he was teaching them that uh, the way they had been following idols was not okay, and this was a lesson to them. And uh, when they come out of I, uh, Babylon on the other side, we don't, we don't see idolatry like we did beforehand. And so God was doing something in the entire life of the nation. And, and I think that despite the unfaithfulness of Israel, despite their fickleness, he had faith in God's faithfulness. And that's why we sing the song, right? We don't sing, great is my faithfulness. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. Because we're looking to a Savior who's bigger and beyond us. And even in Hebrews chapter 11, when we're reading about Gideon and Samson, we're reading about David, and we're reading about possibly referencing Daniel even. The emphasis is not on the ability of the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, but in their faith in a God who could accomplish his will through people who would simply trust and obey him. So he had faith in God's plan, and so he prays. This was an obvious aspect of Daniel's life. Everyone close to him knew that he prayed three times a day looking toward Jerusalem. And he would go to his home and evidently he would get on his knees and he would look toward Jerusalem because that's where his heart ultimately was, even though he had and would live and end his life here in Babylon. But he, he looks toward Jerusalem and he prays as he did aforetime. He didn't do it with a defiant attitude, so he didn't say, you can't tell me to pray and so now I'm going to start. And he didn't decide to maybe keep the windows shut for that particular next 30 days or do it silently. But as he did a fourth time, he continued to pray. <clears throat> yeah, but he had a habit of praying. His confidence was in God, not King Darius. He served God, and so he served King Darius, but ultimately he served the Lord. And so when there was a conflict, he was still going to do what was right to do. What's interesting is, in this whole story about Daniel he doesn't really do anything real special. There's nothing that he does that, you know, he doesn't pull a rabbit out of a hat. He doesn't kill a lion with a big sword. He doesn't do any of that. But he's faithful. He's trusting in the Lord. And that stability kept him, this loyalty to the Lord, this faith that he had kept him anchored even while he was in Babylon. I've heard people use the expression, my North Star. Have you heard that expression before? You can follow the star. Now, I follow Google Maps, but I've heard that maybe before Google Maps, you know, when some of you were sailors out with the sails up, you know, all of that, uh, you had to follow the stars. And there's evidently some stars that are better to follow than other stars. I look at the sky, and uh, there's supposedly there's like shapes and things that you can find up there. It all kind of is a big blur to me. Don't look for me for directions at night if you're lost. But this idea that there's a North Star, that there's eight, no matter where you are on the planet, I think. Again, I'm not a sailor. But wherever you happen to be, you can find this star and you can, you, that'll help you know which way is east and west and north and south and it'll help you get back home. And it seems like for Daniel, he had something like a North Star. His faithfulness to God, what he knew of God from his upbringing and origins, allowed him to stay close to the Lord throughout whatever took place in his life. 
we don't know this to be the case, but remember the wise men coming from the east, coming to see a star, follow a star, and they find a star, and it's, it takes them to, to Jesus, to the Messiah. Maybe they learned about Jesus and all of that from Daniel. Maybe he had some influence in, in explaining this to some of the wise men of Babylon. In fact, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it's an interesting little, little thought there. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. There's something about Daniel, his testimony, the fact that he was fixed on the Lord that allowed him to be a good example for many others who would be looking for that. Well, he was disciplined in his life and how he lived it. And then thirdly, he was dumped. So verse number 16 of Daniel chapter 6. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Not a fun way to spend the night. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. At this time in Daniel's life, he's 80 years old or more. He probably was pulled out of retirement to interpret the writing on the wall of Darius's predecessor. And now Darius has asked him to take this heavy responsibility to be the president here. Uh, I don't know that he asked for it. In fact, maybe not asking for it was why he got the job. They, they wanted somebody trustworthy and capable with some experience. And so they, they pull him out of retirement. I don't know if he was on his hammock at the time in some retirement village in Babylon. But he's an older man pulled into this situation. And now just for following and serving the Lord, he is now finding himself in a den of lions. Now in Sunday school, I've seen the flannel figures. So I know the lions were fluffy, and uh, it was a nice, cozy environment. But uh, from the story, we don't know that that's the case. I don't know what you find in a den of lions that people used to execute uh, criminals, but uh, there are probably chewed up bones in the corner. Uh, I won't describe it any further than that. I can only imagine. I don't know that there were African lions. I don't know too much about lions. I've been to the Cincinnati Zoo. That's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, I do know what they smell like a little bit, so I imagine there was some of that going on there as well. Not a place I'd like to spend the night. Life has its peaks and valleys, and Daniel finds himself in an unexpected place at an unexpected time in his life. Few of us are good at predicting the future. James says that we need to be very careful about making boastful plans about tomorrow. He says when you mark out your calendar, you should use a pencil, not a permanent marker. Because we don't know exactly what the plans that God has for us are. We sometimes waste a lot of time trying to make sense of everything prematurely. But Daniel was faithful. He followed the Lord. 
he was distinguished and he was disciplined and he was dumped, but ultimately he was delivered. Verse 20, and when he came to the den, this is the king, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And so I don't want to do my lamentable voice impression. You're just going to have to imagine this. But this is a lamentable voice, right? The king comes and the king spake and said, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? There's a pause. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have, no hurt, they have not hurt me. For as much as much, uh, before him innocence he was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. In other words, O king, I haven't sought to betray you, whatever accusations were made. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. We see now the deliverance of Daniel. Daniel served God and Daniel believed God and Daniel didn't Stop the mouths of the lions because he had taken advanced lion taming lessons or rock climbing lessons or hypnosis of lions. He stopped the mouths of lions, it says, because he believed in his God. You see, Daniel didn't stop the mouths of lions, God stopped the mouths of lions. This could foreshadow in some ways what John will say, and two of the young people quoted a little bit earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So on our behalf, as we think about ultimate lions that we face, the wrath of God, the just wrath of God for our sin or whatever we may face in terms of Satan or the sin of the world, Jesus was willing to die on the cross for us. Jesus was not put in a den, but he was put in a tomb. And there was a stone rolled across the tomb. And he faced the lions for us. He faced and took upon himself the wrath of God. And it's through the death of Christ that we are delivered. Hebrews reminds us that the true hero of every story in the Bible must be Jesus. We stop the mouths of lions through faith, through faith in God and through faith in Christ. There's many things remarkable about Daniel, but the biggest lesson about the life of Daniel was his faith in God. What he believed about God, what he believed about God is what guided everything about his life. And I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us how we live our life, and how we think, and ultimately then how we behave. Peter will say this, he will tell us and remind us in Hebrews and 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So when I was a kid, 
we would go on car rides, and it was scary sometimes because we had a station wagon, and you remember, right, the station wagon in the back means you had to stare at all the people who were following you. And uh, I would cry in the car, they say. I don't know exactly why, but I was a kid, and I would cry sometimes, and uh, my, my family would sing to me. And so I can still have faint recollections of them singing this song. I haven't heard it in many years. In fact, I tried to quote it, and I misquoted it to uh, my brothers, and they, one of my brothers remembered how it went. So as far as I know, this is actually the words to this song that I haven't heard sung in many, many, many years. And I'm very old, so you know that's a long time. <laughs> but it went like this. Roar, roar, roar went the lions. Down on his knees Daniel fell. He knew the God who made the lions could shut their mouths as well. And God heard him. Oh, yes, he heard him. And he shut the lions' mouths up tight, tight, tight. So be like Daniel Bold, who lived in days of old, and trust the Lord, let come what may, and serve him every day. And I would stop crying, believe it or not. So parents, try that, see how that works for you. <laughs> Just leave you with this question as we think about Daniel and his life, this unexpected chapter in his life. Daniel chapter 6. When the lions, grow, go, <laughs> when the lions roar, what will you do? When the lions roar. Or what will you do? I think the answer that Daniel would give you is have faith in God. But Daniel didn't do anything exceptional in Daniel chapter 6. He didn't, if you made a movie about this, Daniel just, you didn't have to have a special actor. Just someone who trusted in the Lord and opened up his doors like he did every other day and got down on his knees and prayed. And God delivered him and was glorified. Let's Bow our heads with me, if you would. Father, we are thankful for your patience with us and your wisdom and the fact that we can cast all of our care upon you. We do pray that you would help us to be vigilant when we hear the roar, perhaps, of the devil or just different things that we encounter in our lives that... Um, we trust in your sovereignty, we trust in your goodness, and ultimately we trust that we are not under condemnation because of the fact that in Christ our sin has been forgiven. We are given his righteousness and we're free, we're empowered to follow you and be faithful even in difficult situations. So I pray, Lord, you would lead us in that if there's anyone who has not put their faith and trust in you and in Christ and what Christ has accomplished, I pray that they might have the courage to let go of themselves and their righteousness and trust in you. And I pray that each of us might allow the different things we may face or are facing um, not to uh, rattle, but if anything, deepen just a simple faith and trust in your goodness, your provision, so that we can just continue to do the things we know to do all right. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. I invite you to stand to your feet if you would, please. You can keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. There is a place to come kneel and pray. And maybe talk to the Lord as you think about your life, looking ahead. And maybe there's some things we can cast our care upon the Lord about. Maybe we can trust in God's faithfulness as we think about some of the difficult times, even unexpected times we are at. And maybe even there's some, some ways we should be living out our faith that we've neglected. Maybe it is prayer. Maybe it is our relationship with the Lord in other ways. 
let's commit to being faithful, trusting in the Lord. And I think it'll be amazing to continue to see what the Lord will do in your life and in the life of our church.